This week's podcast is brought to you by Unbound Breathwork. 100% certain doing breathwork has completely changed my life. When will you get rid of the word choreographer? The company I work with brought in Beyonce. That was a big risk for you to take. What was it that really like drove you to make that decision to go out? It's here, there's loads of work but not enough good dancers. In England, it's the other way around. What was the plan when you thought, right, choreography isn't enough? Welcome to the seventh episode of the Three Rings podcast. My name's Stuart Bishop and I'm here with my fellow director, Bailey J. Muir. How's it going, Bailey? So before we dive into the video, subscribe to the channel, click a like on the video, turn on the notification bell, and then you'll know all about it when next week's episode comes out. I'm excited because today we've got a special guest in Brendan Hansford. Brendan is an internationally renowned creative film director and choreographer who's worked with many of the biggest clients in the industry from Sam Smith all the way to Rick Astley to recently creating and being the creative director for the opening of Atlantis in Dubai which featured Beyonce of all people and in 2021 Brendan took the brave decision to move his creative career overseas expanding his horizons with Dubai's art and entertainment entertainment market where he enjoyed great success. Most recently, Brendan has become a qualified breathwork coach, launching the all-new Unbrown Breathwork, which are today's proud sponsors. So welcome, Brendan. How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, we've known each other for years. Um, formerly, we managed, you know, uh, Rudai managed you. So there's lots of history there, lots of things to talk about. But firstly, where, where, where are you in Dubai right now? Yes, I'm in Dubai right now. I live here now. Where is the sun? Where is the sun? It looks dark there, man. Well, I got my times confused, didn't I? So it's actually the sun's going down now. I know it's only like one o'clock for you guys, but the sun is pretty much gone. Earlier on I had beautiful light and now I'm relying on this artificial stuff. So today's topics are topic one, the dance industry in Dubai. What are the pros and cons of working as a creative and as a dancer in Dubai? Then we're going to be talking about Brendan's transition from a choreographer to a director. How exactly has he done it? And then talking about Brendan's new company, Unbrown Breathwork, what it's about, I've done it, it's absolutely amazing. And then finally, the drama school scandal, which was reported on Sky News earlier this week. Me and Bailey, we like to pride ourselves, don't we, um, on our knowledge of the the dance industry and our knowledge of, of, of business, you know, in the creative arts. But our knowledge on Dubai is pretty, I don't know, Bailey, have you got any knowledge on Dubai? I haven't, have you? Nothing other than what I actually learned from Brendan last year anyhow. So I think the best place to start probably is to ask you, Brendan, like obviously you were so established over here in the UK before you moved out. So that was a big risk for you to take. What was it that really like drove you to make that decision to go out? Uh, COVID, <laughs> it's the easy answer. Um, obviously we all remember COVID. I actually had uh, potentially the busiest year planned ahead of me. Like I had so many gigs booked and I, and as a choreographer, you know what it's like as a freelancer. It's very rare you have a lot of gigs booked more than a couple of months in advance. But I had so much stuff lined up and then COVID hit and it just absolutely destroyed me. Um, and I was losing my savings every month. And then we opened up and it was great. And I kind of got back to work, started making connections again, started getting things moving. And then we locked down again. 
which let's be honest, the second lockdown, not everyone took massively seriously. So we were still kind of trying to create stuff. And then I was living in a lovely box room in Hampstead. You know, Hampstead's a beautiful place and I could just about afford a nice box room in an old nunnery. And yeah, they locked down again, coming up to Christmas. And I was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. It was just very creative. I was crawling the walls, you know, I was ready to jump out the window. So I Googled what countries were open and Dubai was open. So initially, I only moved out here for one month, just get away for a month, spend a month on the beach, you know, protect my mental health, protect myself and, you know, get around some sun, you know, not be stuck in a box room in Hampstead, um, watching the rest of the world starting to come back to normal. And yeah, that's it really. That's why I jumped. It wasn't actually to change careers. So it was a bit of an accident. And while I was here, I ended up doing what I do, emailing everybody, having meetings, having coffees. Before you know it, I had more work lined up in the space of a couple of weeks than I did ever in England. You know, the hustle in England is real. Uh, the hustle out here is still real, but more can happen with what you put in as opposed to constantly fighting the hundreds of people that are competing against you. When you got there and you started having um, coffees and you started, <laughs> I remember a long time ago us having a coffee, Brendan. I remember, I remember you buying you lunch. <laughs> yes, uh, and I told you a load of things to do and you and thinking, well, I'll see you in a year. And you, within two weeks, you came back and said, I've done them all. I was like, right, let's, let, let's work together. So when you're having those initial meetings in Dubai, were people... You know, were they giving you this kind of impression that it was going to be tricky or it was going to be hard or, or you know, what were they saying? You know, what were people offering? What kind of advice were they offering you? It's really, really different to the UK. For example, um, the musical theatre agents in the UK, you have to be exclusive to each musical theatre agent. There are no musical theatre agents out here that I know about. You know, the agencies are also event companies. So you don't get like three rings you get three rings event company. So you don't put, you know like you have spotlight in the UK, right? You don't have a spotlight here. You have a couple of Facebook groups that no one really posts on anymore. You basically have agencies that are events companies and those companies all bid on the same events or the same filming or the same production. So any of them could win it. However, they pretty much all of them have the same dancers on the same contacts. So whoever wins it is the person that's going to hire you. So let's say agency A, agency B and agency C all bid on the same job. Agency B gets it. Then B goes, hey guys, we need dancers. They may run an audition or they may cast it by video. But then suddenly all the dancers will post into this one agency and they will fill that job. But there's so many events out here and there's so much of that going on that agency A, B and C will all get things throughout the year that are pretty big. So as long as you keep nice with everybody, you're, you're good. So there's no like, I'm on this agency. I'm on this. Like the agencies don't post your pictures on their website. They don't really promote you. They just want to get the events and then they worry about the dancers afterwards and the choreographers and the creatives. Um, whereas my role, um, as, as you said in the speech, is when I left, I was just a choreographer. Um, who was also being a director and behind the scenes and a creative behind the scenes. Since I've got here, um, I've taken a lot more creative roles and doing creative decks and pitches to help these agencies win uh, jobs. 
So I come in early, I hear about it before it happens, I help them win the job, and then I come in again once they've got the job as the choreographer, creative, stroke, helping with the casting and stuff like that. How does that like work contractually and with your fees? For example, I know over in the UK when they bring someone on to like help with the decks and stuff like that, it becomes very much like you take like a top line off the budget rather than you get a fee. Are you getting paid for that work you do before they win the job? Yeah, most companies just pay me a daily rate to do the creative and there's an agreement that if we get the job, I am the creative on the job. So I won't say money, but I say I get paid X amount for this. Um, if they win the job, that fee will be wrapped into that final fee to produce that event or produce that film, whatever it may be. Um, if they don't win the job, I still get paid for my time creating those uh, decks. So is there any type of platform online where the jobs are following into? No, it's just connections, 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 connections. You've just got to be very good at emailing. <laughs> how do you know that it's going to all the different people? Like, how, is that, are you just thinking now or is that you know that for a fact? You, you don't. I just know from being here for two years that every agency I know has had jobs throughout the season. So here's the thing is the UK is a 12 month season, right? You've got work throughout the year. Our work kind of goes from September maybe to June. No, maybe before. So May. I'd say September to May is the season. September and May are very quiet. And then you've got Ramadan as well, which is the holy month. And it's very quiet for that too. So you kind of have to pack everything into six months, which is why there's no way one agency could handle every event here. So there's enough work to go around for everyone in terms of agencies. And same with dancers. There is enough work here. And the thing you got to know is... Dubai is more multicultural than London, than anywhere I've ever been. There's so many different cultures here. And there are so many different dancers coming from different locations. And there is enough work for everybody here. When I was a dancer, um, it was always, there was only, you know, obviously, the United States. And there was London. And you would hear about, you know, the odd jobs going off in Europe. And, and any time I worked with companies in Europe, you'd see the, the state of the sort of the, the structure of their industries, which were very kind of loose. Why do you think Dubai, of all places, has, has suddenly cropped up over the last... It's what? It's been the last five years, hasn't it? Longer, longer. There's, been, um, there's dancers now who I know who are actually back in the UK have been here 10, 12 years, sometimes some 15 years. The industry's been around for a long time and much like the UK industry, I keep hearing stories of 10 years ago how much people were getting paid and now they're getting paid so much little. But the funny thing is the pay here is probably three times what the UK is. So <laughs> if they're moaning here <laughs> about how much they're getting paid, I can't imagine what's going on in the UK right now. Um, but yeah, the dance industry's been around for a long time. These agencies have been around for a long time. It is a crazy event culture here. So events has been a big thing here for a while. Remember, it's only like 52 years old. So Dubai grew from almost nothing in 52 years to what it is now. It's one of, you know, on the list of the richest countries in the world. So there's money here. It's a bit like the Wild West. You can, you know, if you're good at what you do, you can kind of quote what you want to quote. And sometimes they say yes. Um, but yeah, it's been around for a while. Uh, it's only been recently that people have been looking away. But again, I think that's a COVID thing is that after COVID, people being restricted so much suddenly want to break out. And Dubai is an easy place to come to in terms of to find work. As a dancer, your land, as long as you can get in contact with the right people pretty quickly, you'll start to be included for work. And also it has a very high turnaround rate. So the dancers that were here this season might not be here next season. They might go home or they might go to a different country. 
So there's that constant flow of turnaround here, uh, which also means that if you're someone that wants to move here permanently, once you get in that kind of everyone's mind and you keep everybody sweet and you, you be lovely and humble, uh, you'll get hired for a lot of stuff again and again each year. So just like, have that in mind. That's why there's... I need to go back a little bit. Sorry. If you go back to last season, for example, there was so much work to the point where when I had jobs, I was struggling to find dancers or struggling to find good enough dancers because they were all on so many different jobs at the same time. So just to give you an idea compared to England, where from my experience in the past was there wasn't enough work and a load of amazing dancers just waiting and you know, desperate to get work. So it's like a flip. It's here, there's loads of work, but not enough good dancers. In England, it's the other way around. So I'm, I'm not shocked that people are hearing about it and coming here. Would you actually like advise UK dancers, LA dancers to actually make that move? Oh, yes and no. So obviously every country has its pluses and minuses. Um, where to start? First off, you need to pay for a visa. So don't come here unless you've got three or four thousand pounds saved up and then some money. So I think I must have spent about eight to nine thousand pounds in the first three months. And, and when I say I spent it, my credit card spent it. But yeah, no, so when you get here, you obviously you have to get a visa. Now, as a freelancer, you can pay for it. Roughly a visa for about two or three years is three thousand dirham. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a month or two to get through. So you come here as a tourist uh, and then you have to pay all the initial things. You have to pay that within 30 days if you're English uh, before your tourist visa runs out or you start getting daily fees for being over on your visa. Then it stops it, great, but then you've got to wait another month. You cannot rent a flat. Uh, that's not like a hotel apartment that you just pay everything. You cannot get your license to drive, so you have to rent cars. There's so much stuff you can't do until you get your visa. So for example, the flat I'm in right now, I'm renting it the same way I would in the UK, but I need my Emirates ID to be able to rent, to be listed for the Ajari, to be listed for Diwa, all the things that you, know, you need to live. So for the first three months, I basically stayed in an apartment hotel. Uh, it wasn't crazy overpriced, but I was spending about a thousand pounds a month. It was all included, but it's cheaper. Like I've got a lovely one bedroom flat now and it's cheaper than that. It's cheaper than my one bed flat in Hampstead. You know, sorry, my one room flat in Hampstead, should I say. So there's a lot of benefits in terms of, I think everything's cheaper here because I don't go out a lot. I don't party a lot. I don't want to be part of that scene. If you want to be part of that scene, alcohol is crazy expensive. You're looking at about 15 pounds a beer, you know, just for a tiger beer. It's, you just, you go out and you spend one beer and you're like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> it's cheap. It's cheaper to buy a meal than a beer. Put it that way. You can have a big meal. It makes no sense. Luckily, you know, we are fit, toned individuals who don't drink, Brendan. Yes, exactly. I don't, I don't know about toned anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't drank for, I haven't drank for two years. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So all of a sudden, these type of countries that, you know, that um, in the past, I would think, oh, I wouldn't want to go there because, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Looks a, a little bit more appealing now when you don't drink. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like, um, I love the beach and there's numerous of beaches here. There's some of the best beaches in the world. Uh, the desert is beautiful at nighttime. You can go out, create a campfire, everyone sit around and eat some you know, food from the barbecue. There's so many cool things to do here which don't cost you anything, you know. Um, and there's loads of locations further out of Dubai. So <laughs> I had a funny comment from someone once and I said, oh, have you ever been to the UAE, United Arabs? And they went, no, no, I've been to Dubai. 
And I kind of went, you, you know it's the same place, right? So for some weird reason, the world thinks that Dubai is its own country. It's not. It's the UAE, right? It's seven Emirates. For example, the best known one is Abu Dhabi. Um, so they're a lot more stricter than Dubai. Then there's Sharjah on the other side. There's, um, oh, what's the other side of that? There's Alagan. Uh, there is there's Ras al-Khaimah. And each emirate is different. It has kind of its own laws. So Dubai is the most relaxed. Dubai is the most, you know, you can kind of get away with a lot more here than you can in the other emirates. But again, it still comes down to the areas. You just need to know which areas to go to. So if you go to an expat area, you're good. You can kind of be quite natural. You don't have to worry too much. But if you're going to a more local area, you've got to really think about the culture, uh, the kind of do's and don'ts, like PDA, for example, with your partner. Um, you know, if you're female, the certain things you wear. Uh, you know, like my, my partner, for example, is always kind of dressing up and going like, oh, what type of event is it today? Is it more of a local one? So then I need to cover. Or is it more of an expat one? And it doesn't matter so much. So there is that element as well. Um, so coming back is... One, you need a lot of money to start up here. A lot of people do come here for a month at a time and do visa runs, and they don't have to pay for the visa. However, that really limits what jobs you can get sometimes. You might get an amazing job, and they go, okay, where's your ID? Uh, uh, and then you lose out on a job that you know, could pay you three or four thousand pounds for a couple of weeks' work. Um, like, for example, there's a job happening at the moment, it's paying four and a half thousand for a month. Tell me other jobs in the UK that pay that much for not particularly a crazy high profile job. It's just a month long job where they'll be rehearsing for two weeks, performing for two weeks and they're done. And they're out. That's it. Now, you have to have your Emirates ID for that. You have to have your visa. So a lot of people who come here off visa will do the kind of lower paid jobs and the jobs that are like one-offs here and there. They're where they can get paid in cash. Uh, that's still possible. But my recommendation is if you're coming here, do it the right way, do it the correct way. Do, do, do you remember we had um last year we had that job and it all went pear-shaped in the end what was the problems we um B bailey can you it was to do with is it called an event permit brendan yeah permits <laughs> so perm yeah i can talk all about this so jobs like to cancel last minute here and there's not much you can do it's just it is what it is um but on this particular one last minute got cancelled right it was because the permits weren't ready in time. For every performance, for everything you do, you need a permit for every single person. If you don't get the permits in in time, the event ain't happening. I remember going up to literally the last minute on this event that they'd spent millions on, millions of dirham. Um, and right up to like an hour before, we were panicking, it wasn't gonna go ahead because we hadn't confirmed a few permits yet. Luckily, we got it pushed through at the last minute and got, got the show on the road. And it was a, an amazing opening ceremony. Um, but yeah, permits are a real stickler here. For everything you do, you need a permit. There's, there's, there's a permit, there's a rule for everything. Yeah, I remember. I remember it was all a bit of a waste of time in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a little bit, but... but we tried our best. We tried our best to get you that job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, uh, no, it's very interesting to hear about Dubai. I mean, I remember um, there's a guy out there from my audition days called Scott Marshall. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I know Scott. He runs Diverse, uh, uh, one of the biggest dance schools here. Ah, right. Now, he went out quite early, it seemed. Cause I, 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 and I always used to think, why, why on earth would you go out there? But um, he was ahead of the trend. He's, a, he's, a, he's been here for like 15 years, I think. He's got one of the biggest dance schools here. His agency gets so many cool jobs. Like he's absolutely smashing it. He's a he's a lovely guy as well. I've met him a few times. Um, I haven't had the chance to work with him properly yet, but 
he he was an annoying annoying dancer scott was because i remember in auditions that he would always get it <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> he's doing well yeah yeah him and his partner are killing it out here they're absolutely smashing it so you know we we worked together for a very long time um you know helping you build your career as a choreographer and you know to be honest I feel like you're very much like me. You've had to work very, very hard um, to... Obviously, you're talented, um, but there's very rare people who are whose talent can just be relied on. And me and you are one of these ones that we have our talent, but what is probably more was our hard work, our motivation and our professionalism. So... For me, at the very start of your career, I'm thinking, well, you know, he, he, he's 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 a hard worker. I, I think definitely he's got what it takes to become a choreographer. But I never saw you basically becoming a choreographer, dealing with that, working with all these amazing artists, you know, um, you know, being a creative director for something like the opening of Atlantis, where you've got Beyonce there, all these amazing things. And then you're like, well, actually... Um, and you, you started doing this before you left Dubai. You were you 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 were like, right, I want to become more than that. What was the plan when you thought, right, choreography isn't enough? Well, as you know, I've been playing with cameras since I was like 22. I've always loved cameras, photography, video, uh, editing. So I already taught myself how to edit, how to film. You know, studied all the styles because I'm a geek. You know, when I like something, I I go head first. And I'm lucky enough to have ADHD, where I get super hyper focused on the things I love. Um, but yeah, it was, I was starting to work with some really cool directors in the UK. Vaughan Arnell is a particular one that was really, really helpful for me. And I said to him, you know, I'm really interested in what you do and I really want to start to make the transition. Um, I don't want to leave choreography behind, but I want to start, you know, directing. So I started getting hired to do a few things. I put myself out there. Like I did some really cool projects for EcoWorld, this big building company. And I was starting to get known for doing out-of-the-box stuff. So this building company didn't want these boring ads. They wanted something really original. So I brought in performing arts, so dancing, singing, and acting, all that stuff, some acrobats. And so I started to get kind of build a reputation for being the person that brings the performance into videos. Uh, like I recently did a video out here. I won't say the brand yet, uh, but I created a kind of musical for the screen. And we had all these things moving in and out of the shot. And it was a one shot wonder. They were singing the whole way through and these, lots of crazy things happened. So I started to build a reputation for that. But when I got here... Um, I brought my kit with me, uh, so I had all the filming photography kit I needed, and out here I just started to get high, it was, it was weird, I don't know how it happened, it just happened so quickly. One person heard that I was good at this, or seen something, called me and said, hey, do you want to come and do this? Uh, we've got a budget of like £7,000, and I was like, what? <laughs> how long do you need me to work for? Just like a week. Okay, cool, yeah, no worries, no, no, good, good, good. And so quickly I realized, you know, out here, the, the production industry is so new. It's only like 26 years old. So in England, it's been around for forever, right? So you have this kind of hierarchy flow of people that constantly get the work. Um, and the people like me who are trying to chip into that, that area, don't get a look in. You'll get one thing here and there, a crumb here and here, and you're constantly hustling. Whereas here, I feel like this hierarchy of creatives, shall we say, is still being created. And like I said, there's a high flow here. People go in, people come out. So it's easier to replace someone when they kind of go, oh, I want to go home back to America now, or I want to go back to Europe or England. So there. Um, 
So here I've just, I've built a reputation really fast and I've been hired to do some really cool jobs as a film director. And then out the blue, I've been working with this uh, company in New York called Condé Nast as a creative director. And we did the opening for Atlantis Royal, like you said. And then, you know, the company I work with brought in Beyonce. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I'm the creative director on an event with Beyonce. Uh, Swedish House Mafia were there as well, but they kind of got overshadowed, bless them. And I did this um, after Beyonce, which obviously uh, we, did, we weren't, weren't meant to be filming on social media. I did this massive dance sequence with fire breathers and, you know, these kind of sway pole things and drones and fireworks, and it was incredible. Um, and my one moment of fame, because obviously Beyonce brought her own camp, so I'm, I wasn't part of the Beyonce. My partner was lucky enough to dance with her, uh, but there was this one moment, and I still find this funny, that I was sat in the office and I was trying to leave, and I had my rucksack on, I had my phone in my hand, and they were blocking the pathway. So I thought the Sheikh was coming to see the building, because he was coming that day. And I kind of looked up, and there was this like, group of people walking through, and this lady looked at me and smiled, and I went, ah, oh, thank you. Looked back down, looked up and went, God, that was Beyonce. <laughs> And I didn't even clock it. I just, I, oh my God, Beyonce just looked and smiled at me. You know, you have that like fanboy moment, fangirl. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, I need to tell people. <laughs> so that was it. That was my only experience of um, the queen herself. <laughs> you have to think when you get those opportunities, yeah, you know, who knows? Her and Jay-Z might have been a little bit uh, on the rocks or something. You know, you should have just like, hey, here's my, here's my number. Well, he, he was there. <laughs> Oh, he was there, was he? <laughs> they were both staying at the other Atlantis, the first Atlantis. Yeah. What is the difference between the roles and how do you actually go about making that change? For example, with choreographers, I often hear Stuart say, like, if you want to be a choreographer, just call yourself a choreographer and it will happen. Do you feel it's a similar kind of thing? No, not at all. I'm completely the opposite, actually. Um, so my career, you know, has taken a massive shift over purely to being the creative director and film director. I still choreograph. If people call me and they need me, I will still choreograph. But generally speaking, I've shifted over to this side now because um, I had to create stuff. It's a short version. Is uh, Even when I was in the UK, I was constantly creating dance concept films. I was constantly working on directing stuff and constantly creating, 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 creating for film. And then also stage. Uh, the stage thing came by accident. So the film thing was active me creating stuff, sending it out to companies going, this is what I can do, you know, give me a chance. The stage thing out here just happened that I was choreographing um, for this one gig and the creative director got called away, a uh, family emergency, I think had to come back to England actually. Um, and they said, Brent, can you take over the creative director role? And I was like, yeah, sure, okay, easy peasy. Did it, anyway, the event went amazing, it was awesome. And then that agency uh, now constantly call me back for the creative side of things. And I'm helping them with the creative decks and then I'm being the creative director, sometimes also choreographing or hiring a choreographer if I need to. So yeah, it just, one was more organic and one was forced. So the film director side I think was forced because I had to really chip away at that one and still am. Um, and then the creative director, I kind of organically fell into that one and people realized I'm really good at creating decks, specifically on a computer. I'm a massive computer geek. So, you know, I, I, I arrange stuff really nicely and it's helped a lot of uh, agencies win jobs, so. When will you get rid of the word choreographer? Will that ever happen, do you think? So the short answer is I don't know. I've tried a few times. <laughs> it just seems to stick. Now I've written it into my bio. So this is a, a bit of advice for someone that wants to move on, is I now predominantly focus in my biography that 
I am a creative who's got a history as a choreographer and how choreography influences the way I move the camera, how I edit, how I create storylines, how I create narratives. So I use it as a way to kind of emphasize why I'm good at what I do and why I'm unique compared to most directors here who know nothing about dance, you know, they, they know zero. So if uh, the aim is to niche myself, right, is uh, if a company here or worldwide eventually needs a director that's good at working with dance, they go, ah, oh, you've got to call Brendan. That's, that's the long-term goal, right? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it completely, but it's a good question. And the short answer is I don't know, because I've tried a few times and I, I constantly bring it back because I feel like it, it heightens what I have. It's another string to my bow rather than, you know, I'm just this, you know, I'm, oh, I'm this, I'm this, and I've got a history in this. So that, that, you know, maybe a way of reframing it is, is always called for. It comes down to that, I think, it, it, the daring thing again, you know, and, and it's not just daring to say I am this, but there is, you know, it, it, it feels like there is this reluctance and surely no matter how big the job is, it's like once you go, you go, but until you go, until you go and you say, right, that's it, I and this it was like me years ago you know going straight from dancer to choreographer and going right i'm no longer a dancer i am just a choreographer well i believe i believe never say never i did an acting job uh, a few weeks ago for a commercial so i just the company knew me as a director and i'd sent my stuff in and they were looking for this particular look with tattoos and um they went do you know what? we actually know someone who used to be a performer that would be perfect for this and I ended up getting cast in this, a lead in a commercial acting role. So never say never to anything is what I, I kind of live by a lot now. I used to think very similar. You know, you have to be this, you have to be this, you have to be this. And I think that's a UK mentality. But when you come here, you can say, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And people go, great, cool, show me. Show me what you got. They, they see it as a benefit that you have a lot of different uh, talents. So yeah, I think that's a different mentality here as opposed to... Uh, the UK, you know, the UK uh, um, work is, what's the right word for it? When you've got a mindset of, not abundance, the opposite. Scarcity, there you go. Scarcity mindset. I think UK people, um, including myself in the past, have a scarcity mindset. So they feel like they have to keep to one lane. And that one lane, they have to be the best in that one lane to get work. When you come to a country that's developing so fast like Dubai, you don't have to stick to your lane. You can try a few different lanes. You know, like one week I'm, I've got a camera in my hand, the next week I'm a director, then I'm a choreographer. And as you know, now I'm leading breath sessions. So I think the beauty of a country like Dubai that's developing so fast um, is the ability to change quickly and the ability to find different routes. You know, like I've only really launched my breathwork company. I know we're going to talk about this like a month ago and I've already got seven venues involved and I've already got my online class started. I've already got a few contracts that are coming my way from events. It's like... You know, that wouldn't happen anywhere else but here. I was just thinking about the fact, like, to bring it to a UK comparison, I also feel like there's something on the other end where, I guess it's like our little, like, upper-class royalty kind of thing where as we progress, we want to get to a point that we don't need to market ourselves anymore. So actually all you need to give is your title of I'm a director, choreographer, creative director, and that's it. And you don't actually want to give, like, this is my history and this is the stuff. Do you feel in Dubai the actual, it's actually the opposite where, like, they want you to market, they want to hear that? They want to hear you. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they are looking for people because, again, the turnaround in this country is quite high. 
So people come and go all the time. So there's always jobs opening up in very big places. So I think what you can do in 10 years in the UK, you can achieve in two to three years here. That's my genuine opinion. If, if you are happy to live in this type of country and, you know, be humble and adhere to the cultures and, you know, don't come here and be a dick, basically. I, I, I've, I've noted those. I don't think I'm going to come. Yeah, you'd struggle, Stuart. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I. Do you know what we're just we're just waiting, Bailey, aren't we, for our invites? To be honest, the, the post takes a long time. <laughs> Welcome to the new chapter in your wellness journey, brought to you by Unbound Breathwork, the proud sponsors of this podcast. Dive into the transformation power of nine D breathwork, an immersive experience that combines ancient briefing techniques with state of the art soundscapes to guide you into profound states of relaxation and healing. Unbound Breathworks online sessions are your portal to deep healing accessible from the comfort of your own space by visiting www.unboundbreathwork.co you can turn any room into a sanctuary of peace and self-discovery. Seeking solace from stress or a path through trauma our sessions are crafted for deep healing from within offering a tranquil space to breathe, release and rejuvenate your spirit. As a special thank you to our podcast listeners, you can now get an exclusive 50% discount on your first session. Just enter the code 3RINGS50 at checkout to unlock the full potential of 9D breathwork for half the price. If you're curious and want a glimpse of the experience, there's a five-minute session sample waiting for you on the website. It's a sneak peek into the powerful journey that awaits. Stay connected on Instagram at Unbound Breathwork and join a community committed to breathing, healing, transforming and thriving together. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. With the code 3RINGS50, your transformation journey is just a breath away. Visit the website, sign up and embark on a path to a rejuvenated life. Remember, the road to healing begins with a single breath. Unbound Breathwork is here to guide you every step of the way, breathing new possibilities into your life. Big thank you to Unbound Breathwork for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and kindly sharing this promo code for us to share with our listeners and viewers of the podcast. Anyone who knows you knows you're not someone just to write, I'm doing this now and that's what you're doing. You always seem to have your eye on what's next and what's what's happening. So um, I have experienced this amazing thing. It is today's sponsor, but why don't you tell us what exactly you are now, uh, your new project? So I am officially a certified breathwork coach and 9D facilitator. Um, I'll give it a short version. I was in Bali for my 40th birthday back in June and I found Breathwork and it was amazing. This incredible experience and I found this particular company and they, I was doing sound healing. I was doing all these different modalities while I was there and I had this idea to put sound healing with Breathwork and I came back to Dubai and I was like, this is amazing. No one's thought of it. Turns out someone's already thought of it. Anyway, so I'm now part of this company. I, I message them and trained with them, um, facilitating something called 9D Breathwork. Okay, so it's nine dimensional. It's not dimensional in terms of you go to nine dimensions. There's nine different elements to it. Like you have the breathwork, you have the hypnotism, NLP, uh, binaural beats, you have binary beats, you have uh, the music re-frequence 2432, which is more harmonizing with the earth frequency. Uh, you have the coaching throughout, you have different affirmations and 
All these things happening in your ears at the same time as doing something called somatic breath work, uh, which is incre like incredibly activating. And these journeys are like an hour to an hour and 10 minutes and you're breathing very actively for about uh, 45 minutes in total. So I don't know if anyone's ever done breath work. Um, I know obviously Stuart you have because you've been in the last two sessions with me. It's incredible. Like you, if you've ever done any hallucinogenics, shall we say, or psychedelics, it's like that, but you're in control. You know, you, you, you breathe to the point where your brain is releasing DMT, serotonin and dopamine all at the same time into your body. You basically get all the happy hormones and all the, you know, the feeling of going to different dimensions, the feeling of experiencing out of body and loads of different things. Or the main thing breathwork is used for is dealing with trauma and past trauma and transgenerational trauma. You know, one thing a lot of people don't realize is trauma can go back about 14 generations. So if you think of all the things your parents, grandparents, 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 grandparents have gone through, wars, famine, etc. There's no wonder there's so much trauma built up in this society now. And if you see what's going on in the world, it's just suppressed, unreleased trauma built up over 14 years. <laughs> 14 generations, sorry, not 14 years. So breathwork helps you delve into your subconscious. And the way that works, I'll give you a little bit of science because I'm the science geek behind it. I'm not so much about the spiritual side, I'm about the science side. You are breathing heavily like hyperventilation. So... <gasps> For, for quite a long period of time. When you super hyperventilate, you restrict uh, carbon dioxide, so you off-gas it, and you overload with oxygen. Now, when you don't have carbon uh, CO2 in your blood, your blood's, red blood cells can't get created or travel around the body or carry the calcium around the body. So you are restricting oxygen moving around the body. Uh, it's called vasoconstriction, I think. And one of the main areas that gets cut off first is your prefrontal cortex, which is your monkey brain. Uh, now, your monkey brain is the thing that reacts fast, is emotional, makes you do all the stupid stuff that you shouldn't probably be doing. It makes you freak out about things that you're scared of or situations you're scared of or people or brings up the traumas. You know, it comes to you and goes, hey, I just want to you know, remind you that you did that 10 years ago or just want to remind you that when you were in the situation before, this bad thing happened, so run away. Don't take a risk. And most people know, you know, you know the world now is very aware of mental health and trauma. Uh, thanks to everything that's been happening in the last few years. So pe most people know that everyone has a trauma. It's almost impossible not to. Uh, I think from the age, from when you're born up to the age of seven, your brain is in theta waves. So everything that you're absorbing up to the age of seven, you are absorbing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sticking. There's actually um, a theory now that you cannot get rid of the trauma from the age before seven. You can only learn how to deal with it better because their brains are so susceptible at that young age. And if if we all think back to what happened before we were seven, I've got a list, <laughs> you know, I'm sure we all have, and how that has affected you today. Breathwork basically gives you a key to block off this part of the brain, go straight into the limbic system, so the amygdala, the hippocampus, and deal with those emotions. So those traumas can come up in a place that's safe because your monkey's not freaking out. You're literally starved of oxygen. So your monkey's not going, don't think of that. The trauma comes up. And then also when you do breath holds, for example, within this process, you release DMT, serotonin, and dopamine. Now you're wrapping that trauma with all these happy, happy hormones, you know? Happy, happy-go-lucky stuff. You'll cover it in sugar. So what you find is people are rewiring the trauma. You're never going to forget it because your subconscious remembers everything. But it rewires it. And a lot of people come out of these journeys and go, I, I, 
one, I haven't got a clue what just happened. They remember crying, they remember screaming, they remember wailing, remember moving a lot, they remember getting really cold or hot. But the whole point is you focus on your body and you get out of your head and into your body and allow your body to release the traumas. And sometimes people don't even remember what came up. You know, they just wake up and go, something shifted. I don't know what it is yet. And then over the next week or two, they start to notice they're behaving different or their um, things they used to do, you know, they're not doing now or the things that used to bug them a lot don't bug them anymore. And I'm not saying one session, by the way. A lot of people have reported after one session, they feel amazing and they feel like things have shifted. But doing this repeat thing, and in every one of my sessions, I leave people with exercises to do every morning, just a 10 minute exercise, which will bring you uh, into a better place. But I'm 100% certain doing breath work has completely changed my life, completely changed my outlook, to the point where I created a business to deliver this uh, medicine, this modality to people in the beginning, Dubai, but my dream is to travel the world and deliver what I, what I create to people. I'll tell the viewers about my experience. I've done two lessons with Brendan now. Um, but first of all, just anyone listening there who might think, well, hang on, I, I, I had nothing bad happen to me when I was before. And so it's not actually fi always physical things. It can come from, you know, maybe your parents were constantly arguing or maybe you were, um, you know, your family were desperately poor. So the, the, the stress and the pressures from other people come on to you. Um, you know, I, I think you're completely right. Every single person, even if you've lived a, a silver spoon, you know, everyone's got some kind of trauma. Um, so my experience, well, I've, I've been into breath work for a long time. I primarily use it to alkaline my body. Um, I've never used it in any kind of other other way um, in a sort of, you know, to get rid of trauma or anything like that. So when you approached me and, you know, you were telling me about it, I, I have to admit my first kind of thing was, mm, yeah, you know, uh, why is it going to, yeah, why is it going to be any different? Um, and then... I, you, you said, oh, there is a, there is a, a little, little sneak, pr uh, little bit you can do on. Ah, a five minute free sample. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I did that and I thought, ooh, <laughs> this, 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 it gets you. And <clears throat> the releasing of the DMT, I mean, you know, I have done uh, hallucinogenics and things like that in the past. Um, and what was good about this is that there's no uh, bad after effects. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's no feeling. It was, I was left in a, I mean, it's, it's quite, you know, it's not easy thing to do. You have to be on it. You have to be concentrating while you're doing it and concentrating your breath. And um, I, you know, normally do my breath work for about 10, 15 minutes. That's it. So doing an hour, it was a challenge. However, I just felt euphoric, like just, um, I mean, I was, you, you said at the start, the, 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 the thing that maybe you shouldn't say, but you were like, you know, if you want to cry, if you want, and, and at that point, I'm like, I'm not going to bloody cry. And then, and I resisted and I, I, or not not that I resisted I it didn't come out into you know that I was going to cry and it wasn't until a very last section where you started saying something and I just literally uh, I was like a bloody little baby um and then and then afterwards um 
I did feel great. And, and it, you know, I, I want to do it more. I want to do it more. Um, it's definitely something that other people do. Ba Bailey, um, you, have you had much experience with breath work? I haven't done any breath work at all. I've done like meditation stuff, which I don't know how similar that would be. But I mean, just hearing all of that sounds absolutely fascinating. So that means Bailey's joining us on Sunday, Stu. I mean, tag me in. <laughs> there's, a, there's a discount, right? I have a discount for you guys. So anybody listening that wants to come and try, at the moment I have one online session. I'm planning to open a second very soon. So the website is unboundbreathwork.co. I'm sure these guys will list it somewhere for you. But if you type in the uh, discount code ring, three rings, 50. I almost got it wrong. Three rings, 50. Again, I'm sure they'll put that below somehow. And yeah, anything that's run by me, uh, you'll see it on the left side of the bookings form. Uh, you'll get a 50% discount. So come and join. Uh, it's not something you'll regret. And then we have a community, a WhatsApp community you can also join. And there's so many ways afterwards that you can carry on with the breathwork journey and keep that going, keep that uh, healing going. Bailey, why haven't, um, just, you know, it's interesting because obviously you are much younger. Why hasn't breathwork, why has meditation come first? Why haven't you done breathwork before, Bailey? I think it's probably a case of like familiarity, to be honest. Like meditation growing up is something I've always heard of. So as I've started to get into personal development and stuff like this, it's something which naturally is like, oh, of course I should do that. Whereas breathwork, even though I've heard of it, I don't feel like I've heard of it to like that volume of people meditating. So it's just not something I've ever actually thought about doing until this conversation, to be completely honest. Well, this is the thing. Breath has been around uh, for decades and decades. I can't tell you the complete history because I don't know it fully yet. But I know obviously with yoga, for example, it's been part of many different yoga practices for a long period of time. And I think only recently uh, that people have started to kind of put, put the connections together and the science behind it to go, wait a minute, if you, if you, it does this, it does that, oh my God. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, where it's come from. I would, I would love to delve deeper into that, but I, yeah, I don't know, I don't know the complete history of it yet because it's come from so many different sources. I've actually written a blog on my website about it. So if people are interested, I have a blog that talks about the history of it and it talks about the science behind it, talks about ancestral trauma, transgenerational trauma. Uh, I'm just, a, I'm just finishing writing one about what actual trauma is as opposed to what people think it is. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on that. Um, again, I post on my social media and I tell people there's a new blog up and stuff like that. So I, I started, obviously, I only heard of Breathwork through, through the Wim Hof method. Um, and, you know, for me, it was always about just sort of alkalizing my body and just sort of you know helping myself um create put, put interjecting basically into my day <clears throat> things that can keep me on track and you know as a as a creative why obviously the trauma part but what else are the benefits you know, do you think for breath work for let's say performers Oh, okay. So first off, um, I got an amazing compliment the other day. Someone told me that my, my singing voice had never sounded so good. So one thing with you using your diaphragm the whole time and using your intercostal muscles is you are, first off, you're exercising the muscles on, in an actual full-on workout. So from a singer's perspective, it will help you with your breath. Uh, from a dancer athletic perspective is we are increasing CO2 tolerance in the body, which is a huge benefit. It means you can carry more red blood cells around the body, carry more oxygen to the parts of the body to help it work better and faster and longer. 
Um, for example, resonance breathing, which is a super simple one. You can do this all day, every day. It's five seconds in, five seconds out through the nose um, with no breath holds at all. Uh, the idea is that it's, it resonates your body and it helps your HRV level with your breath and everything in your body. They call it resonance because it, it resonates through the body. It's proven to increase CO2 tolerance. And the more we, we can increase CO2 tolerance, the less breaths we have to take. There's also a spiritual theory that you only have a certain amount of breaths in your life. And once you've taken them, you, you, you pass on. Don't say that. Don't say that. Who wants to hear that? That's a spiritual theory. I don't... Someone told me the other day and I was like, interesting. So a lot of people who are stressed are over-breathers. So let me explain the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system very quickly. The sympathetic is the fight or flight. This is your stress response, right? Parasympathetic is the relax, retreat, rest, digest system. We want to be in the parasympathetic most of the time. So if we think back to caveman days, you know, our, our sympathetic system really only kicked off when we had to find food or we were being chased as food, right? So a big lion chased us, our sympathetic system kicked in, heart shot up, breath shot up, we reacted, fight or flight, right? We ran away from the lion, we hid. When it was done, our body returned very easily back to the parasympathetic system, rest and digest, less breaths per minute, and, you know, it's a good thing. It brings you back and it helps you think better. If you stay in uh, that side of it, you're more likely and more susceptible to illnesses. Your immune system becomes lower and so on, so on, so on. Anyway, so the problem is with the times we live in is it's most people are living in the sympathetic. So when you're in the sympathetic nervous system, you're releasing cortisol into the blood, which I'm sure most people know about now. An overdose of cortisol is not a good thing. Your body becomes a bit like a pressure cooker until it just pops. Now, back then, run away from the lion, over, they go back. Now, we wake up, we look at our phone, stress. We, we've got to do this, stress. We've got to go to work, stress. We've got to drive, stress. We're, we've got a boss, stress. We're in front of a computer all day, stress. So, our bodies have had to adapt to this. But the problem is our bodies haven't adapted yet. They still live thousands of years ago because our bodies can't adapt as quick as our society is. So, no wonder so many people are stressed. No wonder so many people are suffering. No wonder so many people are sick. No wonder there's so many mental health issues. No wonder there's so much ADHD, which is directly related to breathing when you're younger. No wonder there's so much asthma. I could go on, but you get my point. You should write those down as lyrics. It sounds like a Michael Jackson's. It does, doesn't it? I realise this. I need to put that in my speech. Um, if we... <laughs> I, can, I can just see us doing it now. That's why I'm laughing. Um, yeah, so no wonder there's so much of this because we are living in fight or flight. We are living in sympathetic. I remember years ago, I went to the dentist and my dentist said, you're biting down, are you stressed? And I said, no, I love my life, I love my job. They said, yeah, but you live in London. Everything is a stress. You know, it's not like living in the countryside where you can wake up at 10 o'clock, mosey around, make some breakfast, you know, or live in an area where you're fine with money and it's very relaxed and it's nature. Everything is stress around you. And I was, you know, biting down. I didn't even know about it. And I felt like my life was amazing and I loved what I do. So understanding that we are now surrounded by stress, mental health is on a rise. I have a strong theory that the next 10 years are gonna be all about mental health, especially when AI comes in, takes all of our jobs. <laughs> it's another conspiracy theory. But genuinely, I've integrated AI so easily into my life so quickly, which is a little bit scary, right? that everyone's just welcomed it with open arms and we are running with it. At some point, I'm already editing with AI. I'm already doing 
a little bit of my job with AI. How long before that can do my whole job? I, I truly think the next 10 years is all gonna be about healing. Hence why I've shifted. I haven't changed my career, I still do what I do, but I'm now shifting over to helping people heal. You're like, how can I make money from people's misfortunes? Stu always finding the, the cynical side of things. <laughs> no, listen, it's, it's, this is why you're successful, Brendan, because, and successful people are always, you know, they're not looking at achieving that. They're, they're looking at a, a constant amount of achievements, which, uh, you know, by introducing new things, you're just growing yourself as an artist, as a person. And that, in the end of the day, is is really the key to, uh, a, I suppose, a, a good artist's career, becoming a brand. You are becoming this, It's your, your brand is trustworthy. It's like, yes, you know, uh, what can Brendan do? He, he can kind of do most things, you know, and, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's for me personally, it's, it's great to see, you know, to know I've had some kind of hand in, in helping you with your career. You have actually, you've had a very big hand. I don't think you realise sometimes how much. I was, I was a dancer trying to become a choreographer. You are our first guest on this, um, on this podcast, actually. Yeah, we're hoping, we're, we're hoping to, to drain your followers and for them to all come to us. <laughs> um, but normally, normally we talk about sort of different subjects within the arts. And we thought we would end this, this, this week's podcast with uh, one of our funny little controversial things. So before, before you comment on it, Bailey, do you want to just fill in um, what, what's actually happened? Yes. So Sky News last week released a new report that they've actually been working on for a couple of years around all sorts of abuse of power and just strange goings on, to be completely transparent, with drama schools across the country. There was only one drama school which was actually named However, there was 18 involved in these stories and there was all sorts regarding like consent in class. Um, there's things with like nudity in acting training, which most people in the arts know has always kind of been a thing. But it's a very grey area. As you can imagine, even though it happens, it can create a lot of problems. There's a lot of ways to look at this. And then there's even been some very extreme ways of how they've been teaching like um, like method acting just taking it way further than it needs to go. For example, like having stuff that you just wouldn't even think to put in a bucket, people shitting, pissing in buckets. And it's just mental what goes through your head to actually decide this is a lesson I'm going to conduct, really. Yeah, I guess there's a tough conversation here around what is actually going on in the entertainment industry that they have to do this training for. Well, they don't. <laughs> it's a short answer. Yeah, on a nudity level, it's like we see every Hollywood film has these sex scenes, etc. But then even method acting, we hear stories like Heath Ledger when he was playing Joker. It does happen out there. So there's part of me that goes, on a training level, I get it. You're training them because that might be a job they have to do in the industry and they have to know whether they're comfortable with it. But I think there's also a balance in that. Should the training be doing it? And equally, should the entertainment industry, once you're out on jobs, actually be demanding that as well? Be interested to get both yours, your thoughts, Brendan and Stuart's. What was what what was your initial reaction when you saw that what we showed you? I laughed because I'm not surprised. Like it's, I saw it and I was grossed out, and then I laughed because I'm like, well, I'm not surprised. When you hear about everything that's happened, and I think it's a bigger conversation. So I'm going to throw something back at you. I don't think it's 
uh, a conversation about what happened. I think it's a conversation about how much respect people have who want to be a performer and how they look at performers. Because this happens throughout the career, right? You're always the lowest of the lowest of the low. You're the last person to get hired. You're the last person to get paid. You're the last person to get brought on. That even the educational system is treating performers like they're lower class citizens. Ah, oh, we can push them because we'll find a reason. Because in a film, you can do anything. All right, well, let me stab you. Because in a film, you might pretend you're going to be stabbed. And you've got to know what it feels like. It's this desperation, isn't it? It's this desperation that people think that, that, that you know, if they don't, they won't make it. But we were saying beforehand, this is the best time ever to not have to rely on anyone to make it. You know, you look at KSI, you look at all these um, influencers. These are world stars now making millions. Well, Will Smith never had an acting class. Hey, read his biography. Okay, he was a music artist first, but he never had an acting class and he's one of the most famous actors in the world. You know, now he's changing again. He's now a YouTube star and now he's this. He's also moves with the times. He's a boxer now. He goes on thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not, it's it's not, obviously it's not funny, it, 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 it is, you know, we had a laugh about it, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's a serious subject. What, no, 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 what, what, what happened to them is not funny, that's not funny at all, but how this industry that we're in sees the boundaries of social life and society is hilarious, because... I remember going back to dance school and there's things that happen there that would never happen in any other career, ever. You know, like, okay, let me give a prime example, is uh, my ballet teacher. When I first went to dance school, I'm 18, first time in ballet, first time in a leotard, forgot to wear a jock, which every guy does in the beginning. Um, and the ballet teacher had to put his hand up and say, all right guys, I am a straight male ballet teacher. I am gonna have to touch you in places that are very uncomfortable to help you get better as a dancer. Rewind this. We're in an IT company. <laughs> hey guys, I'm a straight boss. I'm gonna go and have to touch you in very uncomfortable places. Are you okay with that? <laughs> it's, 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 do you see what I mean? I would be okay if it's like, <laughs> if, it was, if it was like a gorgeous woman, I'd be like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> No, but you know, being serious, it's 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 just it's this. I think it's also down to that you know when you have so many um, theatre schools and so many drama schools opening up, you just don't have. It get, comes down to scarcity of teachers, so they're having to you know the 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 standard of teaching has come right down because you're often being taught, especially in um, in colleges. Um, by ex-students so it's it's you know it's it's there, there's got to be some kind of regulation there yeah one one thing that i've i've noticed in the last few years in the uk uh, not literally the last few years when i was back in the uk is a lot of teachers were still in their 20s right uh don't get me wrong i i felt guilty to that i was teaching in my late 20s and i probably wasn't ready to be a teacher um because i wasn't mature enough you know i hadn't lived the life i needed to live to be a teacher as well as yeah, so there's, you know, when you're, when you're learning from someone that could be your partner, those lines get really blurred. And obviously I'm kind of changing subjects a little bit and referring to some of the, how do I put this delicately, is the advantage some people take of their position. You know, 
Because if you get a 22 to 25 year old teacher teaching a 19, 22 year old, outside of that school, there's nothing wrong if something happens there, right? But when you're 22, 23, you aren't, you aren't mature enough to understand that you are in a position of power. You should not abuse that power in any way. But you know, filling a bucket full of puke and pigs things and making you smell it, what are you learning? Like what, what, is, what, what are you learning from that other than it smells disgusting? Great, that makes me an amazing actor. We all know it goes on in colleges and it, and it basically just needs to stop all this sort of dodgy teaching and dodgy, but it's the, it's the expanding growth. If, you, if, you've got, if you're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you can't, you, the quality of teachers are always gonna go down. Brendan, we, we, we have taken enough of your time. Is there, apart from the Unbound uh, Breathwork, which obviously, thank you for um, sponsoring the, the video today, and you would, you would have already heard, um, our, seen our sponsor advert as well. Um, is there anything else you want to promote, or is there any um, links or whatever? Where can people follow you? Uh, it's super simple. If you Google Brendan Hansford, you'll find my website. It's brendanhansford.com. That's my creative stuff. You'll find terrible things. Don't Google it. Don't Google me, no! Um, and then there's my, And then unboundbreathwork.co. Honestly, they're the two things I'm super focused on right now. Uh, the breathwork thing specifically, because I, I genuinely, as much as we joke, I genuinely want to help people. Get down in the comments below. Let us know what you think of today's episode. In the description, you can find all of our links. You can go and follow Brendan, follow the podcast. We're available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And last thing to say, subscribe to the channel, hit the like button and turn on the notification bell. We'll see you next week. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. Seriously, I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Brendan has got um, a big following on Instagram. So go, go follow him on Instagram and just, you know, go to his website, check him out, book him as a creative director, um, do everything you need, do his, bow, um, his breath work. Thanks for watching, guys. Don't forget, you can also watch all the other episodes as well on the Free Rings podcast YouTube page. It's all there. Laters. See you later, Bailey. Thanks, Brendan. Bye.